trouble keeping track of weeks anymore. So the last time at the end of the lesson I said when we come back tonight, what I should have said was next week, so we're still on the same uh, concept that we were talking about last Sunday morning, and that was the sin of hindering others. We based it on Galatians 5, 7 through 12. Those verses read, Ye did run well, who did hinder you, that ye should not obey the truth. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment. Whosoever he be, and I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off which trouble you. The idea that Paul was going for here wasn't specifically circumcision. That was their doctrinal issue at that time. The idea was, you've been preached the perfect gospel. Why would you let somebody else come back and tell you some kind of a different story? You don't need an upgrade. You don't need a different path. You don't need an alternate reality. You have the perfect gospel already. So why did you let somebody else take you away from that that you've already received that was perfect? And he talks about it throughout his ministry. He'll say, you know, even if it's me, if somebody preaches you a false doctrine, no. We don't change the gospel, we don't change the scripture, and we don't come back with a different story. We do it the way Jesus said, and that's the end of it. We went on last week to talk about how we can hinder other Christians through things like false teaching or uh, even our own examples. We might not be saying the wrong things, but we might be doing the wrong things. We talked about how God feels about those who hinder other people. And that's a powerful one, because people might usually think of that as maybe a preacher or an elder. Oh, they're in charge of a flock, or oh, they teach people. But you know what? If you're a Christian, your daily walk should be a sermon. So you, too, teach and influence people. And usually it's even the people you don't even realize are watching whether it be the little kid that's around you a couple times a week or the co-worker who's watching to see if being a Christian really is any different at all and they've never even talked to you. We were going to pick back up at a more important word, and that would be from the words of Jesus. All these other apostles have got great things to say, but if I'm going to choose Jesus' words or Paul's words, I'm going to choose Jesus, even though I know Paul is going to strive to follow the words of Jesus. And he would say things like, woe to those who cause offense, or talk about an occasion of stumbling. Luke 17, 1, then said he unto the disciples, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. Stumbling blocks are going to happen, he says, but woe unto the one who's making it happen. That's different terminology than we would use nowadays, but basically he's saying, woe unto the guy who's teaching false doctrine or leading you astray. Well, what does woe mean? Well, if you're riding a horse, it means stop, horsey. But we're not talking about horses. It's basically like, almost like when Paul says, if somebody changes the gospel, let them be accursed. It's saying, hey, stop what you're doing because you're going to get in some serious trouble. Woe unto them who bring these stumbling blocks. In verse 2, it says, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. I personally have never drowned, but I hear it's one of the most horrific ways to go out. It's however many minutes of being scared and uncomfortable and in pain as you choke to death on water that you can't escape from. 
And yet Christ said it's better to have a millstone hanged about your neck and to be cast into the sea than to be the one causing the little ones to stumble. You could take that literal or figurative, depending on the study you're doing with little ones. We literally have little ones all throughout this room. But in churches all throughout the country, there are little ones who drive cars and work jobs, and that would be our new Christians. You get caught up in earthly terms, and sometimes you miss some of the other ideas there. But the way that you talk and walk and teach and act is a direct influence on those around you, especially the little ones in Christianity. Jesus takes mistreating his disciples personally. Matthew 25, 41-45 Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was a hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was a thirst, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. The next verse gets a little bit tricky because anybody who knows who Jesus is and they see his face, they're like, well, not you, Jesus. I didn't turn you away. If you came to my door, I would have given you my good chair and I would have broke out the good food. Mm. Well, verse 44, then shall they say, answering him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered or a thirst or strange or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister unto you unto thee? Lord, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have shunned you. It's you, Lord. I would have taken care of you. Verse 45, Then shall he answer to them, Verily I say unto you, and as much as ye did not, to one of the least of these ye did it not to me. Mm -hmm. Christ might not have personally been the one looking for a little bit of help along the way, but somebody did. And he's saying, If you didn't help that person, you didn't help me. You're supposed to be living in my stead. You're supposed to be living as I would live. And you could have helped that person and it was too inconvenient. Or you didn't like the way that they're eyeballs lined up with their nose, or whatever the reason may have been. But you didn't care enough about those around you to do right by them, so you didn't do it for me. Acts 9, verses 1 through 5. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughterings against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogue, that if he found any his way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around him a light from heaven. I think we all know this story. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He said, Lord, who art thou? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. He might have had a moment where he's thinking, well, wait a minute. You were crucified before I really got hardcore into this thing. Obviously, I'd heard of you, but... This whole Christianity thing didn't start until after that. I didn't persecute you. Well, we just covered that. Christ takes it personally. If you're out persecuting those that are his, you're persecuting him. He took Saul's sight for several days so he could have time and a time out to sit and think about what he was doing. And Saul made the right choice. Instead of being all pouty and throwing a fit and covering his face and kicking and screaming, he thought it over and thought, you know, I ought to do the right thing. That's a lesson for anybody from adulthood all the way down to, say, age 9, or maybe younger than that even. Equally strong words from the, uh, from the voice of the Son of God. Christ and Paul kind of had the same kind of teaching style. I mean, Christ would use parables because that was the teaching style of the day. But neither one of them made it, so you had to solve a puzzle and read a book and write a thesis and go to classes to learn all this, they were pretty straight shooting. Hey, don't kill people. It wasn't like a big old puzzle to figure out, just, hey, don't kill people. Hey, 
there's only one God, only worship Him. They didn't make it hard at all to figure out what they were saying. They got right to the point, and in this particular situation, they both were saying, man, don't cause other people to stumble. And even went on to say, look, it's not going to end well for you, just don't do it. In view of such strong words, we do well to be concerned about not hindering our brethren. And again, that's not just a matter of if you're leading a Bible study or preaching a sermon, that can be the way you handle yourself Monday through Friday when you're not in a church. Or... Sunday morning when you are in a church. Your entire conversation ought to be a sermon to mix the biblical and more modern language together. In other words, the way you carry yourself, the way you walk, talk, and act, it should all be a lesson to those around you. And whether you like it or not, it is a lesson to those around you. That lesson can either be Christianity is worthwhile, or that lesson can be Christianity is a hobby I do on the weekends. Don't mind me, I'm no different than the rest of you. But either way, your life is a lesson. So we can ask ourselves questions like, how can we avoid becoming a hindrance? And it's a worthwhile question to ask, no matter where you are in your walk or wherever you think you are in your walk. Because if we're not doing some regular self-checks, we might not know where we are. And let's face it, we're all biased when it comes to judging ourselves, so we still might not quite have it figured out. So how can we avoid becoming a hindrance? Both Paul and Jesus have just said it is not going to go well for you if you're being a hindrance. Well, we can give careful attention to our examples. That's how Paul encouraged Timothy to move forward. 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. He was straightforward to the point pretty thorough there. Basically, in all the things you're doing, show them what Christians are made of. Not just during... Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and a chosen night or two throughout the week, and maybe that extra night when you get together and have brunch with some other Christians. He said in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. Conversation. So when I'm talking to people, no. In 1611, your conversation wasn't that chat that you had with somebody at the watering hole. Your conversation was every action about you. It was the way you carried yourself. It was the way you walked, talked, and act the entire time that you were awake. If anybody in here sleepwalks, I don't know how judgment falls on that, but I think you have a little bit of leeway there, but maybe chain yourself to the bed if you're not good. <laughs> but when you're awake, your conversation is everything you say and do during those hours. So we need to give attention to things like our attendance. The example we set influences others to be either faithful or slothful. Oh, I thought about being a Christian, but that one Christian I know, they only go like once every two months, and if there's you know, a football game or a parade or a something cool downtown, New Orleans, they just don't go. It's not that important to them. Why should I care? One of the easiest things we can have in our example is attendance. Man, it don't matter what's going on. That person is there every Sunday. I know somebody in this very room who didn't go to their mother's funeral because it was scheduled during church. And they knew their mom would want them in church. Might not be awake to hear me joking about it, but he knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> and that's the example we could be studying. No, Jesus comes first. I love my mom, but Jesus comes first. So, with everything we're doing, including attendance, we can ask things like, is our example in attending service of the church hindering others in this regard? And that can be filled in with any blank you want, attending church. What we're doing Friday night, how we carry ourselves at work, the way we talk at the break room table. All these things can be filtered into that question. 
is our example in blank hindering others in, in this regard. Another big one that easily goes unnoticed is attention to our attitude. Attitude just kind of becomes a nonchalant part of our day. It becomes kind of a natural way that we are. And we don't really take much thought of it if it's not causing us a problem. Can we inspire others by our love, spirit, speech, and faith? Is the attitude we give off telling people that Christians are good people or that we should avoid them because they're all a bunch of jerks? Mm. Our attitude is another thing that we can easily evaluate and make improvements upon. As we're walking around with our attitudes, are we a source of spiritual encouragement to those around us or something else? <clears throat> What kind of examples are we providing to our fellow runners? It's not about just the people outside of the church or just the people inside of the church. There are examples for everyone. And we need to be asking ourselves, what kind of example are we setting? We need to give careful attention to the Word. That's why we're told throughout the Scripture to study to show ourselves approved and write it on our hearts and on our minds and recite it daily and teach it to our young and all these different things throughout New and Old Testament because it's important that we have careful attention paid to the Word. Back to Paul talking to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.16, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. And you can take this concept to anything in life. If you're an electrician and you do electricity every day, it's fresh on your mind. You take a year and a half off and you go back and you're like, let me go and just double check the book before I put a screwdriver in this thing. If you're a welder, you might go back and watch a video or something. If you're a teacher, you might freshen up on that subject you haven't taught, taught in 10 years. And if you're a Christian and you're not reading your Bible on a daily basis, you might find yourself in a situation where the answer you need is not readily available to your mind because you have not been taking heed unto thyself and unto thy doctrine. If you don't spend some time in thy doctrine, you don't know anything about it before too long. And it doesn't matter how fluent you were ten years ago, if you haven't read anything in ten years, you're probably not going to be able to answer very much beyond the basics. Give attention to the study of God's Word. Don't just sit in the Bible study and play solitaire. Actually take the time to soak it in. Not everybody is an active participant as far as talking out loud through the whole thing and answering a ton of questions. But if your mind is present, even if you're not the one talking, at least you're a part of the study and you're soaking it in. Everybody learns in a different way, and that might be your way, but you've at least got to give that a shot. You've got to be mentally present. Only through careful study can we discern between truth and error. Everybody talks about different ways to read, whether you're reading a lot or reading silently or rewriting or whatever you're doing. We all have a different way that works for us, but if you're not doing any of them, you're not getting any study at all. Is our example of attending Bible study encouraging others to do the same? That could be the one at church, or the one you have with other people together collectively out of church, or the one you have by yourself at 4 o'clock in the morning or whenever you've deemed. We need to give attention to the proclamation of the Word. That is to what we say or teach about God's Word, whether in private or in public. There are special warnings if you're doing any kind of teaching to make sure that you've got that figured out and you're teaching it correctly. Because if you're teaching people that on top of the regular salvation, if you don't bring a Coke and give to the preacher every Sunday, you're going to hell. Every one of them people who forgot to bring a Coke thinks they're going to hell. You're responsible for that. Mm. By the way, Coke's not that good. Nobody bring me a Coke. Mm. So it's bad for you. But the point of the matter is it's still the same no matter how much jesting I try to do. If you're going to teach, 
study enough to know that you're teaching the right thing because anything you teach in error, you're teaching to somebody that might have cost them their eternal salvation. If you teach them that all you got to do is skip on your left foot in a circle three times and say, I love the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved and they never go to church again because that's what you taught them, you just sent them to hell. And the hope would be that at some point somebody corrects them or they pick up their Bible and they're like, what in the world was this guy talking about? But you don't know, that may never happen. If you're going to teach the Bible, make sure you know what you're teaching because if you're teaching an error, that's your fault. Because you have the tools, you have Bibles everywhere. They're in hotel rooms. They might not be the exact perfect version, but they're, they're everywhere. They're in hotel room drawers. You can read a Bible anywhere. I haven't seen a smartphone that didn't have an app available to them. So you got to make sure if you're teaching or even just studying on your own, you actually take the time to read the Bible so you know what you're talking about for your sake and everyone else's that you talk to. Is what we tell others helping them to draw closer to God? And that could be whether we're some kind of a Bible teacher and a Bible study of any sort or just the way that we are day to day. We might not even be trying to have a Bible study. The things that come out of our mouth need to draw people closer to God or drive them away. And there may be some neutral ground there, but that shouldn't even be a matter of discussion because what we're worried about is are we bringing people closer or further? If you say the weather's nice today, okay, that didn't affect anybody's salvation. I don't care about that. I'm talking about the things you say that either draw them closer or drive them further away. The fact of the matter is we either hinder or help our brethren in Christ. If we're not here, we're hindering because... We're showing that it's not important. If we're here all the time, we're most likely helping. If we're studying, then one way or another we're helping, even if it's just our example. If we're never reading, we're probably hindering, whether it be our example or the misinformation, we not pass it along. And we can go back and forth on a dozen of these, but the fact of the matter is, we know that we need to be present physically and mentally so that we can be the Christians we ought to be. We can either help or hinder those who are running in this great race with us, of faith, remembering like we said the other day, this isn't like the 5K around here where only one person gets to have that gold medal. No, we can all win. You don't got to trip the guy next to you so you can get a better place in line. Grab their arm and drag them along with you. Everybody gets to win. The fact is, though, that those around us can easily be made to stumble by ourselves or any other runner in the race. And that's why we got to be careful because we're not trying to beat everybody out. We're trying to make sure everybody crosses that line. Christians should be a source of great encouragement to one another. It shouldn't even be a question. If we are, how wonderful it will be when we get together in eternity. Mm. On the other hand, though, if we hinder others, woe to us. Because we're going to be judged harshly. Paul had confidence in his brother. In Galatians 5.10, he talked about it. The question will be, do we give each other the reason for similar confidence? Do we have the confidence of each other that Paul had in his brother, or do we see a brother or sister coming and we're like, oh man, I just, no, I'm just going to walk over here. I don't want to talk to them. We run, we, we will if we run, looking into G, unto Jesus and with straight paths for your feet. When you learn how to drive a car, they tell you, look, so many feet out in front of you right in the middle of your lane. Why do they tell you that? Because where you put your focus is where your car is going to go. If you're staring at a billboard for 60 or 120 seconds, where is your car going to end up? Probably not in the middle of the lane, and hopefully that billboard was on your side of the road so nobody else goes down with you. 
Your spiritual walk is no different. If you're driving that spiritual automobile, you've got to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, or you're going to find yourself off in a ditch or off the edge of the cliff or wherever the billboard was located to pull you astray. And there's all kinds of spiritual billboards out there trying to pull you astray, and many of them look pleasing and like an upgrade. But the fact of the matter is, if you're not focused on Christ, you're being pulled in the wrong direction. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witness, witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verses 12 through 16 say, Wherefore lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. But let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness spring up, springing up trouble you, and thereby many be, many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. And there's many examples in and out of Scripture that we could pull to fill in blanks in, it, in and out of there, but the fact is, don't be the stumbling block. The truth of the matter is... Don't let the stumbling block trip you up. What does that mean? Does that mean we catch somebody being a stumbling block, we all beat them with poles and throw them out the yard? No, we're going to pray for them and we're going to have a conversation with them. Because instead of being their stumbling block, maybe we can help them get back up out of the middle of the roadway so nobody trips over them. And we can all finish the race together. When we're together as a family, we always have an invitation. And we remind people at Mall City that invitation is good and day or night, any day of the week. But we're here now, why wait? If you're not a Christian, you don't need a stumbling block to get you to hell because you're rejecting the salvation Christ has offered. Don't do that. You might not live to come back to church. If you're a Christian, you could have any number of needs and you got family for that. We're here in both cases as we all stand and sing.